Okay, recording. You have a story to tell, and maybe you've thought, I should start a podcast. Meet Anchor. It's a powerful app that lets you record a podcast anywhere and get it heard everywhere. All you need to do is download the free Anchor app and hit record. Just go to anchor.fm slash get started. Make a podcast with Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash get started. Great. I think we got it. What's up, guys? We're going to do this podcast. My name is Salman Ali, at Salman Ali NBA on Twitter. You're joined by the great Jonathan Fig of the Houston Chronicle. How are you doing, Jonathan? I'm terrific. Thank you. Well, we are an hour away from Game 1 of the NBA Finals, and I imagine both of us want to go watch that, so I don't want to waste too much of your time. Um, first of all, you've been absolutely killing it this month with the Chronicle. The piece you wrote on Houston's front office inner workings was great, and the Jalen Green profile was awesome, too. Um, let's start with the Houston, with Houston's front office because the Rockets went ahead and made official two significant front office hires. Former Rockets player and broadcaster Matt Bullard was brought in after his TV contract was not renewed. And probably the most notable hire, Chris Wallace, former GM of the Boston Celtics and architect of the Grit and Grind Grizzlies, was hired to be the director of scouting for the Rockets. Now, it's no secret that Houston has been drained of brain trust over the last few years, whether it's front office people moving on to other organizations or tragically passing away in the case of B, of BJ Johnson. They have lost a lot of talent. Now, they've slowly added a lot of talent back to their scouting department, as you wrote about in your piece with the additions of Javier Pascaro and Ross Homan. But it was out in the ether for a while now that they were looking for someone with a lot of experience to assist new GM Rafael Stone. I guess my question is, how long were they conducting this search and, and why Chris Wallace? Well, if you call it a search, I don't think they've been conducting a search very long, but they have been looking and planning from the start since the changes, since Monty McNair left and Rafael moved up. Uh, so he hadn't really replaced himself and he hadn't replaced Monty all year and always intended to, but sort of the grind of the season, I don't think they really dove in, did the work until much more recently. And, and you know, I don't think they viewed it so much as a lack of brain trust as well, certainly a lack of manpower. They needed more bodies, but also in Chris Wallace, they wanted somebody who, who has experience running the department from running the personnel, not just the ultimate decision-making, which you think of when you think of a GM, you think of who did you pick in the draft and what did you get in that trade? But he's also the guy who runs basketball ops. And Chris Wallace has a lot of experience with that. And so they can now have him sort of run, which to a degree Monty did, Although there's another function Monty had that won't be necessarily what Chris Wallace will do, but he can run sort of the scouting department, uh, the organization of it, you know, uh, the deploying of your troops and scouting, uh, which is not something BJ did. BJ was a scout. BJ was in the gym where where he loved to be. 
so to have somebody sort of take that off Rafael's plate a little bit, running the scouts, uh, that's where Chris Wallace's experience will be very valuable. The role Monty also had that I think that is still to be determined, and it could be something Matt Bullard is very equipped to do. Monty was sort of the liaison between analytics and coaching staff. So the coaching staff wants more information on this sort of out-of-bounds play or how this team defends that. He'd be the guy who'd communicate back and forth. He'd always be on the road. I don't think it's determined yet that, oh, that's what Matt will do. I, it's not determined. Or if he doesn't, who will? Or to, And in a lot of ways, Rafael is more involved with coaching staff than he was previously, where he had typically been the liaison to the front office and to the analytics people. He's been traveling this year. A lot of that stuff is to be determined. The COVID protocols where you couldn't travel, everybody sort of made things be a certain way that they don't need to be next year. So there's still a lot of things to be determined, but that is one thing right away you can add by having Chris Wallace come in. Yeah, it's interesting because I think the modern day basketball fan cares a lot more about the behind the scenes stuff than they did a few years ago. And when Daryl left and they chose not to make an outside hire, I was kind of worried for Houston because Garrison and Monty just left in consecutive seasons. And that's a lot of work to put in the hands of a few decision makers. The Celtics are kind of famous in the league for having a small front office. But Danny Ainge had like two decades of experience as the head decision maker. And Rafael was walking into this for the first time. And listen, I'll admit, like he's I think he's done a pretty damn good job this calendar year. The Jay Sean Tate sign looks pretty good. I think the KJ, KJ Martin pick looks good. And I thought the series of transactions that landed them Christian Wood was brilliant. And I've long thought they took the best deal on the table for James Harden. I, I, I think a lot of people criticize that haul because they didn't get a, a true blue chipper back. And I think some, there's some people that still quibble over the Victor Oladipo of it all. But listen, like they never took that deal for Victor Oladipo. It was all about the first round picks and the expiring contract. It's hard not to objectively look at how dreary their future was in July of last year to now and think it's a lot better. Now, whether or not we'd be saying this if they didn't get the second pick in the lottery, who knows? But they did, and Rafael deserves a lot of credit for it because... When you when you factor in all these the the shrunken front office and the conditions that they've had to work under, I mean it's pretty impressive. Well, a lot of things that you brought up there. He wasn't a rookie in a lot of ways, like you you mentioned the Danny Ainge comparison. Well, when it comes to trades and and roster formulation, he he had a role in that for many many years and a voice in that and was active in that. So he wasn't a rookie in that regard, running the department as being the guy, uh, you know, making all the decisions, hiring front office people. There are a lot of things that, that Daryl did delegate, which by the way, Daryl always said, and no one believed him, but he always said that he delegated. And so a lot of things Rafael had been doing for many years, but I agree, you know, his, his transactions have been very good. The hardened trade considering his goals was very good. You can argue about the goals if you want, that he did not get any pieces that will be important players in the 
whatever this team becomes. He did not get any young future star player that, from that deal. His goal was picks, unprotected picks. I need as many of those as possible. He did very well at reaching his goal. And the people who argued it were always arguing the wrong thing. You know, it, it, it's like you can argue what he should have wanted to do, but you can't argue the success of getting done what he wanted. Um, I, I think, I think they did very well in that regard. That's why they, you know, people always talked about the Sixers option. Oh, they made a big deal over Maxi, or they should have gotten Thibault or, you know, the Sixers should have offered that. It was never about that. It, and, and to say nothing of the worthiness of Ben Simmons as the guy to build around and the Rockets were concerned how do we build around a guy who can't shoot, especially for the years that he shares a backcourt with John Wall? Is that really going to, is it worth doing? But the real thing that stopped that was he, they wanted everything you have and we want it unprotected. And they couldn't get that. And so, you know, again, you can argue with what he wanted, but he got what he wanted. And, you know, so, so far so good in that regard. But as I wrote and said a lot at the time, you know, you can measure that trade by the success of people who are now middle schoolers. You know, when these guys get to be 15, you can start evaluating them if you knew who they were. <laughs> right now, they're a bunch of kids. We, we have no idea who, who it's going to be or how they'll be. This was an investment long term. And then the other part of it that no one talks about, and it's a little bit besides the point, because they were not tanking. They were not trying to tank, especially at the time of the Harden deal. But by choosing to not prop themselves up short term and be a mediocre team, but a much better team than they were, they gave themselves the best chance they could at keeping their pick this year. And then ultimately they did. You know, if they ended up to be a team that didn't make the playoffs, didn't make the play-in, but were a lot better than worst in the league, well, the chances of keeping that pick would have been much, much worse. Now they have another part that they can build around. Uh, and yeah, it shouldn't have come to that, obviously, because they shouldn't have had quite so much in the Chris Paul-Russell Westbrook trade. But that worked out for them, too, is not propping themselves up with, say, Jared Allen for a year before he hits free agency. Uh, well, that gives you a chance of having the number two pick in the draft. Do you believe that was actually part of their calculus or it ended no. up? No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, to a degree. I mean, the Jared Allen part, yeah, that, okay, can we afford to have a guy who plays the same position as Christian Wood? What he, what we'll have to pay to keep him and maybe not even start them both. Is that the way to build the team? And so that's kind of the more of the calculus on, on Jared Allen. The funny thing is when they, tried to determine who would be easier to trade. They thought Victor Oladipo would be, and maybe he was. They got a little something, um, but they were not getting much from the Karis LeVert option because they could have kept Karis LeVert and traded him that same day. They could have expanded the trade, and they shopped him, and they couldn't find a whole lot. So they thought, they'd all right, you know, we'll, we'll do the Oladipo part to get a good look at him, which did not work. They, they would have liked that to work so well, he would have been in their future. Sure, he's great. Look at how he's working out. Well, it didn't work. 
you know, it, obviously. But they also did look at which one of them will be easier to trade. And just judging from those days of talks around the league and determined that it would be Oladipo. This episode is brought to you by Cox Home Life. Cox helps make your home smarter and your life easier. And now you can use your Contour voice remote to connect to your home life cameras so you can view them right on your TV screen using simple voice commands. That makes it easy to keep tabs on what's happening around your home right from your couch. Need to keep an eye on the kids when they're playing outside? Just say, show me my backyard camera into your Cox voice remote and watch them while you're in the house. If you're waiting for a delivery and want to make sure it's there on time, no problem. Say, show me my driveway camera to check on it with your Home Life HD cameras on the TV screen while you go about your day. When you live in a home powered by Cox Internet, you can stay connected to what matters and let Cox take care of the rest. To learn more about all the benefits of your connected home, visit cox.com slash this is home. Yeah, I, I think if you're going to criticize the Harden trade, I think the Karis Levert of it all is probably the biggest nitpick. But I mean, it, again, that's probably what 20 to 30 percent of the trade. That's not what the trade was about. Right. Uh, I, I think the trade was all about these first rounders. And I think they did succeed in giving themselves some cap flexibility and trading for an expiring and eventually trading that expiring for another expiring. Right. Um and we're at this point where the Rockets have successfully refilled their cupboards and they look a lot better than they did after the Russell Westbrook trade. Yeah, and that was the, the biggest thing. That Okay, you're starting a rebuild. If you're trading hard, you're rebuilding. But to rebuild when somebody else has your picks? No, they had to really refill their collection. And I have to, you know, to be up front, I, I'd have done the Karis LeVert part. You know, that, that's I, I thought that was the better option of the two at the time. And I probably still do. But certainly, you know, to be honest about it, that's what I thought they should have done at the time. But the goal of collect as many first round picks unprotected as possible, that was a worthwhile goal. That was smart. Uh, or I, it was the better option than guys who probably aren't going to be the key. You need as many at-bats as you can get to have one of them be a home run. And that's what they need. Just as we're seeing with the Hawks, Trey Young's a home run. We're seeing with the Suns, Devin Booker, home run. Even though he wasn't picked as high as the Rockets hoped to, to pick, you need to get get to the plate a lot and hope to have the guy who can change your life. And I don't think Harris LaVert or Jared Allen were that. I don't think that's the best player on a championship team. And they gave themselves as many chances as possible to try to get that guy. Okay, now that we've talked about this front office, let's talk about one of those at-bats they have coming up because they have a very difficult decision they have to make at the end of this month. And I talked about it last week on my podcast with Ben DuBose, but it's clear that there were two camps forming among Rockets fans for Evan Mobley and Jalen Green. And I think... Uh, they, they even have their own nicknames at this point. Like I think they're calling themselves like Green Gang and Mobley Mob. I think I think that's what they're calling themselves, which is hilarious. Uh, now, yes. alliteration to the rescue. Who who can do better alliteration? That's who you should pick. Right <laughs> now, the Mobley people seem to be heavily outnumbered <sighs> by people who want to select Jalen Green. Like I think at this point, if Adam Silver says any other name 
other than Jalen Green at number two, Rockets fans might burn the internet down. Um, I've said it before. Uh, at this moment in time, if I were Houston, I would probably select Evan Mobley, but it would be a very difficult decision. Uh, Tony Jones, the athletic, came onto the show a couple of days ago, and, and he thinks that Jalen Green would be the better fit. Uh, you also had Jalen Green going to Houston at number two in both of your recent mock drafts. Why Green instead of Mobley or Sugg? Is that based off intel or intuition? Intuition. Uh, the Rockets do not, they don't have a decision. If Adam Silver right now said, oh, we've had a little problem, we're going to have to start the draft after the game tonight, the Rockets would be like, oh my gosh, get together and make a decision because they don't have it right now. and Because they're working. And of course, you don't want to have a decision right now. You, you Like, if you get that temptation, you want to fight it so that you keep working and keep learning and, and, you know, get as much information about the guys as you can and get a good look at them and see how maybe you fit with them a little bit. Um, no, I, I, it's, it's a hard one. You know, if anybody th- – the funny thing is what you're describing, if fans think, oh, my gosh, you're insane if you don't take – blank. Well, that, that fan is wrong. There is no absolute answer. There will be in five years of evidence, I guess. But right now you're forecasting, you're predicting the future. You know, you're, you're like trying to read a crystal ball. And I think, I, I mean, this is just now me talking, but I think especially about Mobley, you're trying to forecast the future. I think of the, of the top four guys, I think there is the biggest disparity between floor and ceiling in hit, with him uh, of the group. Now, I don't think that's a reason not to take him. It's a factor, I guess you consider it. But uh, there's so much you have to predict about how he will grow. I mean, he's 20, so he's a tiny bit older than they are, than some of the other guys. But he's, got the, he's still built like a 16-year-old, a very, very tall 16-year-old. How is he going to change? You're trying to predict that. That's really hard to do. You know, there's red flags about his game, but they're all solvable things. If he does, what you know, the upside could be so good. You know, there's things like offensively. Besides the fact, you know, everybody will say this: he is the current style of big man. He is the 2021 version of center slash power forward, but let's just say center that he face the basket game. But you look at his shot, it's okay, but it's the form of it. And what he's working with has a chance to be really, really good. You know, and the, he's got nice athleticism in some ways, great length. It's not a really great, it's a, it's a funny thing His standing reach isn't tremendous from what I've been told. Even though he's got a good wingspan, which means he doesn't have real high shoulders, I guess. You know, he's that long-legged guy, you know. Well, and here's another thing. I'm just kind of rattling off thoughts I've had about him. But he has a chance to be really good switching defensive player. And so if you have him and Christian Wood together, you have a chance to have a really good defense. If you could switch both big men, you should have a really good defense. But people talk like he's already that, and he's not. You know, he, he doesn't get down in a stance real well. He's very agile, so it makes it work on a college level. But he's going to have to develop that. He seems like a really good rim protector, but I don't know if you're a great rim protector if you're not really good against big men who 
in the paint. And even though teams don't go there anywhere near as much, there's quite a few really big guys now between Nurkic and Jokic and Embiid and, you know, even Aiton and you go and go. When necessary, Brooke Lopez uh, has gone back to doing that when necessary, even though his game has evolved to being a, a floor spacer. So until he can do that, is he a great rim protector? Well, he is on a drive. He really has such a good feel for it. He's such a smart player. But there's more he's going to have to do. And the one skill, maybe two skills, that translate most reliably are rebounding and effort and energy. And rebounding, he wasn't a great rebounder, you know, in the one year of college. It's, again, you have to forecast what he will be. Because that's just what we've seen so far is just to start to build with. But he wasn't a great rebounder. You can't, And sometimes guys who are great college rebounders, you feel good. All right, that will translate. And for a guy who's not the big imposing center, he doesn't play with his hair on fire either. Now, maybe because he's never had to. You know, he's had one year of college and he's a seven-footer who's incredibly agile. He gets the NBA, maybe he will. But you'd like to see a little more of that Clint Capella I got the rebound and now I'm going to outrun you down the floor. You know, you'd like never see him in a full out dead sprint. And so all of those things are things that can develop. And that makes you feel really good if you pick him. But it also means, no, he's not a sure thing. There's people who talk like he is, you know, it's all predicting the future. Yeah. I share your concerns about the size and the rebounding. Like I think, like instinctively, like people just assume that these centers are going to gain like 40 pounds of muscle when they came to the NBA. It's like, no, that's, that doesn't always happen. And there's plenty of examples where that doesn't happen. Like I, I, I'm not sure if his frame is frankly the type that will take on a bunch of muscle. Like I think he may just end up being like a, you know, 20 pounds heavier than he is right now, which is like what, 220? It's not that. Which would be fine. Yeah. You know, we, if he, you know, I wrote once when Giannis got in the league, He'll, he can never be locked out of the locker room because he could just reach under the door and unlock it on the other side. <laughs> now Giannis can knock down the door. So there was a time you looked at that guy and said, my gosh, he could turn sideways and be invisible and look at him now. So I wouldn't rule it out for Mobley. But again, you're trying to predict what's going to happen. It's it's different athlete to athlete, and just projecting that onto him, I think it's it's wrong. And the defensive rebounding, like like if he's not above average right now at the college level, if he's not like great like that, I think that's a fair concern. Like, who's to say he's going to become a good to great rebounder? I think that's why he's gotten the Chris Bosh the Chris Bosh comparisons, right? Like, I think you know it, it it makes it pretty apt at that point. Um. The personality contrast, you mentioned it, but between Mobley and Green, it's fascinating in that Mobley strikes me as someone who's a little bit more reserved, a little bit more calculating, whereas Green is very much in your face and confident about it. And it almost extends out between their games. Like, because I'll admit up front, like, I enjoyed watching Jalen Green film more than I enjoyed watching Evan Mobley film. Like, I think. Green is clearly the most exciting prospect in this draft. Like Mobley's game is a little bit more subdued and slower pace. He's not plotting because he, he actually does move on his feet pretty well. But again, he's calculating. His atten- his That's in- a good way to put it. You know, I wish I did. 
That's a that's a better way to put it than I was. Yeah, his intention isn't to dunk or shoot the ball every time, and you can see that with his passing. Like he's a really he he's really adept at finding cutters to the basket. He found his brother a lot. Like if you when I went back and watched the film, he kept finding his brother for easy dunks and layups around the rim. And um, I think my biggest hangups with Green. And where I think he's still very raw as a prospect are his pick and roll proficiency. It's still not all the way there yet. Like his numbers in the pick and roll aren't great. Uh, the defense, I do have some some concerns about that. Although I think he can he could probably get to an average level. You know, maybe slightly below average. And the passing, like it's very very difficult to make someone a better passer. It's been done before. Uh, Devin Booker is a great example of this, right? He he was someone who was not a great passer, ended up getting up to six and a half assists per game last season, right? He, he was someone who uh, actually did get better at playmaking. And I recognize he's very young, so he's going to get more polished with this stuff, but it's still a concern for me. And it, in talking to people around him, did you get that sense that he was aware of these concerns? Uh, not so much that, but that he's a very willing passer, uh, you know, likes to. In fact, and one of the things we have seen about him, as ambitious as Jalen Green is, and as much as he wants a lot, you know, he, he Kobe is his standard in a lot of ways. He he never re- he didn't play G League games as let me take over, let me dominate. I got this. He looked to fit. You know, he he was confident. There's a tremendous confidence in the way he plays. But he, he wasn't a super high-volume guy, and he did sort of distribute the ball at prolific prep, you know, where he played for the one season. Uh, and I, I think he's going to be a pretty good passer if he's a high, high-scoring guy. I don't think he's going to be a great passer. If we're just, again, predicting the future, I don't think he is if that's his main way of contributing but if he becomes in four years, let's say, you know, a Jamal Murray level scorer or Devin Booker level scorer, Donovan Mitchell, those are really great names. If you can get to that level, Rockets should be thrilled if he's the guy they take. I think if he's that level of a scorer, he's going to be more than good enough of a passer. Was he ever going to be hardened where he could lead the league in whichever he wants anytime he wants? I don't see that kind of passing. But then again, Coming out of Arizona State, people didn't see that of, of Harden either. There were those who saw it coming to Houston after Oklahoma City. Maybe not 11 a game, but I don't know. Tremendous passing we saw in pick and roll at Oklahoma City. I don't know if you're ever going to see that out of Jalen Green at that level, but I think he's going to be more than good enough. And you don't see that out of, out of Damian Lillard, you know, who's a superstar. You don't see that I can lead the league anytime I want to level that they saw of Harden. And I will say one thing, as long as for no known reason I brought up Harden, one thing I think from the Rockets' experience with Harden that they will want to see, and not just about the guy they take second, but 23rd and 24th, they want to see, I think, just knowing them, nothing that I've been privy to since the season ended, but they want to see a guy who loves to be in the gym who, who wants to work because he loves it, that give me more, let me hoop. You know, that was a hardened thing. And I think after years with him, as they're building this team, that's something that as, as they meet these guys and feel like they get to know them, 
will be a high priority that they will really value is I want a guy who wants to give me more. Let me keep hooping. Let me, let me find pickup games in the summertime, you know, but when I'm not training, cause I, I'm going to be in LA on Tuesday, where can I get good competition? I think they want that. Yeah, you're right. I, don't, I, I just don't see that level of passing with Jalen Green. Like it, it was second nature with Harden. Uh, and he could always know where guys were on the floor. And part of it was because he, you know, had an instinct of where these guys were, but uh, his vision is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I thought watching him unable to move at all in those last games with the Nets and still make passes just by step. It was like Tom Brady under a pass rush where he'd take a step to his left and that would change the angle. And so he'd be able to do that. It just he's one of my all-time favorite players to watch, but not because of all the things people talked about, you know, crossovers or step back threes or anything. It was the vision and the passing. Same thing with Chris Paul. Loved watching him for those reasons. Just He would just manipulate the defense. And I will say that's what uh, I asked him once. It was a few years ago, so maybe the answer would have changed what his favorite thing is. And that's what Harden said his favorite thing to do was to manipulate the defense to where I just make a simple, easy pass and it made a teammate wide open. There's to sort of outsmart them all. Um, he said that was his favorite thing. Yeah, but the crossovers are pretty fun too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As time went on, I think he found a way to enjoy those also. Yeah. Um, I'll say this, and we kind of brushed over it, but. If I'm Houston, what would make me really nervous about passing on green at number two is how freaking driven this guy is and what everyone around him has to say about him. Like He genuinely believes he should be the number one pick and he will be upset if he's not drafted there. Like That's crazy to me, even though for like six months, the consensus number one has already been selected at Cade Cunningham. Right, and they were one, two, or two, one, as prospects coming out of high school. So it's not like a new thing. Yeah. That And, you know, and by the way, since we're talking about vision, I do love the, the Cade Cunningham's vision is just so great. Yeah. You know, there's so many times, you, and there's red flags on him too, but you, you see him read the defense. You see him see where the double team is coming, where it will be, who will be open because of it, even with the rotation. Uh that, that is really good stuff. Um, but yeah, I do think Jalen Green's ambition is he is going to be a guy who wants to work. Give me more. You know, no, that's not good enough. You know, more. I got to, you know, because it's going to be clear how he has to get better. You know, he if, if it's not clear to him now, it will be. Um, you know, he is really young too. And, but... I think he's going to take that. He, he has had the mindset of that's what I want to be. Not an NBA player, not just in the league or living the life or making the money. I want to be a great NBA player. And it's been, I'm going to do what it takes. If I have to move to Napa and play for prolific prep for a year, I'll do that. If I have to go join the G League for a year and you know be in that first of the G League transition teams, I'll do that. You know, he's been a guy who has been push, pushing himself to be elite for a long time. And I don't think that will stop from when he gets in the NBA. I think that's the start, not the, the finish for him. 
So you're going to be asked this question a lot over the next two weeks. So I might as well ask you now because you're going to get annoyed with it at some point. If the basketball gods came down from the sky and like threatened to strike you down uh, where you stand, if you don't answer this question correctly, who did the Rockets end up selecting? If you if you were to guess. Well, it's a weird way to put it when uh, my life is on the line and I have to guess. Yeah, yeah. Great combination. Um, and yeah, I'm guessing I'll say Jalen green. Okay. As a prediction and who knows, I might change. I'm doing my, I'm going to do a mock draft every week. And so who knows in 24 hours when I finish the next one, uh, maybe I'll change it. If I get somebody gives me a reason to think the rockets will go a different way. Um, but I haven't been given, like, I don't have a real you know, in, I think you used the word intel earlier. Yeah. I have not heard elsewhere, you know, and maybe it's – Rafael is so disciplined. He's got that lawyerly discipline. It annoys the hell out of me. <laughs> it, like yeah. during these press conferences, it really, really bothers me. Oh, it's amazing. The press conference, he had one. Uh, he, he can talk a lot when there's certain questions without saying what he doesn't want to. He doesn't slip. And the only reason I bring that up is I don't think he is slipping with his peers around the league. I don't like, I'm not hearing the number of rumors of this is, of course, I also talked to some people today just in general about the mock draft. And I got several saying it's too early. I'm not hearing rumors yet. You know, you'll hear rumors later. And the real trick is sort of distinguishing what's disinformation from what's Intel. And some of the, some guys are really good at that, but a few people I talked to today to try and work on my mock draft. Who's moving up? Who are you hearing about? Um, they did say, yeah, I'm not getting a lot of rumors yet. It's a little early still for, for that, for separating rumors from, or, or just having enough out there to be even trying to separate rumors from Intel or disinformation from Intel. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, but yeah, he's really tight-lipped, like about everything. I, I ask him a question at these press conferences, and like you'd be surprised if he gives you a straight-up answer. And it, it is it, parsing through it gets really annoying. I understand why he does it, but it's a it's a stark contrast from like Maury, where it's like I don't think Maury was you know loose-lipped by any means, but like he was more willing to hint at what he was thinking or going to do. You know, there was a time. Like like the trade deadline, I'd send Daryl texts about things I'm hearing or whatever, and he'd send back things that were practically, I don't know what they were. It was like in code. I'd have no idea what he was trying to say. <laughs> and, and I'd say, Daryl, I have no idea what this means. And he told me once, well, I don't want to ignore you, but I'm not going to tell you. So it's in there if you could figure it out, which I never did. And even like if I went back months later and said, okay, what does this mean? And we know what trade you made. How is this? And he'd tell you, I don't know what you're talking about. And I finally said, you know, this does me no good. This, you might as well be sending it. If it was in another language, at least I can go find somebody who could translate it. This is useless. And so he stopped doing that. He would ghost me entirely at those times. Um, with Rafael, he'll flat out say, I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> yeah. No, nah, I'm not going to. You know. Or he'll do the press conference thing where he will say very many interesting things. And he, it gives you insight into the things they consider, which is good. I think fans, readers, viewers, whatever, I think they gain from that. I think he shares in that way. And that's good, especially as they're getting to know him and his style. 
but it doesn't give away anything he doesn't want to give away. And I'll tell you, Eli is very similar in very, very, very smart and very disciplined. You know, will he? I, I haven't given him a chance to leak or you know whatever or slip. You know, but I'm pretty sure he's not going to. <laughs> you know, he's not the type. Which and the only reason that's relevant to any of this is I don't think a lot of front office people around the league are hearing what they're thinking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. They're, those they're both law graduates. I I, I would understand why they're hesitant to share information but it, it does get a bit tedious for, for just parsing through um i covered in stanford my gosh a couple of dummies <laughs> yeah i love the story about eli though i threw it in in that story about the front office that he graduates law school and decides you know i don't really want to be a lawyer and so he starts doing basketball analytics when that was still a new thing on a blog and it leads to this whole career yeah. And unlike Rafael, Rafael starts with the Rockets as general counsel. He was a partner in a, a big time New York law firm. So you don't start, you, he started as general counsel. Eli starts as an intern, you know, uh, with a law degree, um, just because he thought, I like basketball. You know, I just think that is so cool. How likely do you think Houston, Houston trades this pick? 23 and 24? No. <laughs> I know. I know. I don't think they're trading it. <laughs> I tell you one thing. I have not heard a single person out there that I've talked to either say, hey, I hear they're talking about trading or asking me, which is sometimes an indication that it's out there as a rumor. Are you hearing anything about that? You know, I've, I've talked to not a ton of people, but I, I've talked to a pretty good cross section of agents, front office types. And not one person has asked me about that or suggested that to me. Although I will say I haven't asked that question either. Um, maybe I should, but I don't think so. I think that's the whole point. Why would the same team that traded to get a whole bunch of draft picks then trade maybe the best draft pick they're going to have? You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Uh, Jonathan, where can we find your social media and read your work at The Chronicle? Well, the chronic, all our stuff now, easy to find, HoustonChronicle.com. And uh, so there'll be another feature on this this weekend, a mock draft in a couple days. Uh, and on social media, I mean, good place to start. Just easy Twitter. You know, easy old Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be that way, right? Just Jonathan underscore Fagan, which is F-E-I-G-E-N. Um, and so the links are always there. Even when I forget, which I generally don't, uh, they're all automated also. So, you know, they'll all be there and you get links to all this stuff right there on Twitter. Hey, let me, let me take one minute on a completely different subject. I've, I've got the pregame show on with no sound. And I always enjoy when Rudy, the Rudy part, where some years it's not there, but it was there tonight. And it, 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 this is a great year to make sure he's back you know, advising us to don't ever underestimate the heart of a champion. The year he went in, um, into the hall of fame, still the greatest trophy acceptance speech ever given uh, in sports. Yeah. It, it is crazy how often that line is repeated and people who repeat that line often don't know who said it. That's what's so great about it. 
that it's now just part of sports. It's, it's not about just the Rockets or their situation of that year or him. It's still the greatest line in, in trophy presentation history. You know, I can't even think, of, I'm sure people do know what the others are, but to me, just, and it was just so great and natural of him. And, uh, and it makes me happy because he finally got in the Hall of Fame this year. And if we want to go full circle, last time the Rockets had the second pick of the draft, Rudy Tomjanovich. And it was a great pick. Uh, thank you so much <laughs> for coming on, Jonathan. I always enjoy your company. Oh, it was a pleasure. <laughs>